I, uh, I realize that I've spoken here several times and I've never introduced myself. So I'm ringing here. Anyway, hi there. <laughs> My name is Steve Rogers. No, I'm not Captain American. Captain America. I thought I was once until my little sister punched me in the face and made me realize I'm not. <laughs> she, she was mad at me for something I can't imagine. Well, as Amy said, we're in the midst of a big story, the big picture of all that God has been doing. And I won't recap all of that. But uh, Pete Inns made an interesting comment about uh, what this we're doing here. It's called a trajectory hermeneutic. Fancy, fancy words for uh, how Bible students and theologians label this approach to what we're doing with the Bible here. And this is what he says. The stories of the ancient ancestors in Genesis, the exodus from Egypt, and all those laws and worship practices outlined in Exodus through Deuteronomy, were all leading to a dynasty in a particular patch of land with a faithful king, a bustling temple, and a standing army. That's a trajectory hermeneutic. In other words, we're in a big story here. And even though the Bible is, as our Bible is 66 books um, that cover several thousands of years, um, there's a big story woven through all of those texts. It's a library of books that tell the big picture, the big story. And we're dealing with that as we continue in this series. Today we're going to deal with, as you might have guessed, Moses and Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. The laws gave to a specific people at a specific place and time to cultivate conscience within those people, to provide guidelines for the functioning of a worship and justice-oriented society. That's why God gave Israel the law. He wanted to cultivate within what the Bible describes in other places as a people who had been given over to all kinds of dark and wicked practices, he wanted to cultivate within them a conscience, and he wanted to cultivate within them a, a, an understanding of how to worship the one true God and how to have a just and equitable society. There are, the rabbis tell us that there are 613 laws that are actually laid out in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and discussed and expanded upon and commentated on throughout the scriptures. It was a big topic of conversation in what Jesus talked about in his day, and the Apostle Paul in his writings uh, touches on the law repeatedly in his books, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so forth. So it's a big deal. You don't really appreciate and understand the law unless you understand, or the Bible unless you understand the law. 
And as I said, there's 613 of them, and so we better get started. Let's go. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> uh, the, the number one is, of course, the first commandment. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, we're not going to read all 613 today, as you were hoping and might have guessed. <laughs> but there are some things we need to take note of here. First of all, we need to understand that God had already, before giving them the law, identified the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, as his people. When he, can, uh, when he interacted uh, and met Moses in the wilderness at the burning bush, you know the story of the burning bush. How many of you have seen the Prince of Egypt? A lot of you have. How many have ever heard about Moses and Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments? How many saw Charlton Heston <laughs> in the old movie? Hang on, we might see a piece of that in a minute. So, you're familiar mostly with the story that God delivered them out of slavery, but he sent Moses out of he, Moses had been raised as a prince in Egypt. Then he got angry and killed a man. And then he fled for his life. He lived out in the wilderness um, and for 40 years, keeping sheep for his father-in-law. And then one day he saw a bush and it was burning. But it wasn't being consumed. It just was like a candle. It just kept burning. And he said, mm, I need to look at that. And he went over there and looked at that. And God spoke to him, Moses. The place you're standing on is holy ground. And God said, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. We need to understand that even before they had the law, God was thinking of them as his people. And when they came out of Egypt, they had been a tribe of people that had lived in Egypt for 400 years. If you know the story... One of the sons of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, one of his 12 sons was named Joseph. And Joseph went to Egypt, was sold to Egypt as a slave by his jealous brothers, and he ended up becoming the prince of Egypt. He became the vice-regent of Egypt, actually. And he drew up a plan that, uh, during a famine, saved all that region from starvation. And uh, Pharaoh was quite impressed with that and actually gave Joseph and his family a piece of land in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And they prospered there. They did well there. They multiplied in numbers. And they assimilated into the Egyptian culture. And they literally became, in essence, even though they were descendants of Abraham, children of Israel, they became Egyptian in their thinking. They became Egyptian in their worship. They became totally Egyptian in their ways. And this really comes out in this story in Exodus. Because we find them resorting readily after they came miraculously out of Egypt, ten plagues and all that. They came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, 
miraculously. And now they're three months into it, and they're at Mount Sinai. And God shows up. And we read it about, read about it in uh, Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So right out of the chute, as we're at the beginning point where God is actually moving to give the law to Israel, God says, you are my treasured people. I have a plan for you. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to use you to bring light to the world. I have a special plan for you, a holy nation. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Okay. Hello, Israel. I'm God. I have plans for you. I have some things I want you to do and be. Right on, God. We'll do it. We're in. You can count on us. We will do everything you said. Mm -hmm. Well, the people said that. And then it goes on. It says, Moses went down to the people and told them. And that's where chapter 20 of Exodus picks up. And it's the listing of the Ten Commandments. You know them. God is number one. Don't have any other gods besides me, God said. Um, don't worship idols. Don't misuse my name. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father, your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't give false witness against your neighbor. And don't covet. And then it goes on, if you read it, God gives them instruction about idols and altars. He tells them how to deal with their Hebrew servants. He talks about personal injuries. He talks about protection of property. He talks about their social responsibility, laws of justice and mercy. He talks about Sabbath laws. He talks about three annual festivals, God's angel to prepare the way. This all was given to the children of Israel, some of it in their hearing from God on the mountain. In fact, it was so alarming that God was speaking to them from the mountain. They said, don't talk to us, God. 
let Moses talk to us. We can't really take it when you're talking to us. And so Moses gave them all of this. In fact, it says Moses even wrote it down. Not on tablets of stone yet. It's important that we understand that Israel had a, a, an initial understanding, kind of a summary of the law before the tablets of stone come into the picture. And so not only did Moses hear this and the, and the children of Israel hear this, but up on the mountain where the children of Israel were forbidden to come up, Moses took up witnesses. If you go to Exodus 24 and verse 9, it tells us that uh, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I've written for their instruction. And so Moses set out with Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go with them. Don't miss this. Aaron was up on the mountain, saw and heard God with Moses. Now, some of you that have read ahead, you know what Aaron did. Just right after that. Aaron came down from the mountain as Moses continued to stay on the mountain and commune with God. And then God gave Moses the plan for how they were to worship. The Ark of the Covenant, the offerings for the tabernacle, the lampstand, the, the uh, altar of burnt offering, and all of those accoutrements of the wilderness tabernacle, and all of the symbolism and meaning, and it's so rich. You can study this for the rest of your life and never exhaust the depth of symbolism and significance of what God was representing to the children of Israel as he laid out for them the plan to worship him. Well, eventually they came down, Moses and Joshua came down, and Joshua says there's, there's a commotion in the camp. Sounds like there's a war going on down there. But God had said to Moses, uh, in uh, chapter 32, verse 17, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people... <laughs> now, now they're your people. <laughs> God had stressed, they're my people, and I have plans for them. But now he says to Moses, Go down, because your people, <laughs> with who, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. And Moses came down. Here's how Hollywood portrayed this scene.
light of God shines from you, Moses. Do not kneel to me, Joshua. These tablets of stone. The writing of God. His Ten Commandments. There is a noise of war in the camp. It is not the noise of war. It is the noise of song and revelry. become a prince over us? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. set before you this day his laws of life and good and death and evil. Those who will not live by the law shall die by the law. Well, as as usual, Hollywood really messed it up. <laughs> I mean, they got their facts all wrong there. But the thing of it is, so many of our images in this storytelling has come to us from sources like that. We've been read storybooks. We've been told the Sunday school lessons from certain perspectives. We've received a lot of information along the way that really isn't accurate to what the scripture really says. But the bottom line is, Israel, the children of Israel, 
were confused. They were messed up. They were Egyptians. Moses was gone. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know when he was coming back. I mean, he'd, he'd only been influential, influential, influential in their lives for just maybe a few months at the most. And, and now they've had this big encounter at the mountain. They've been given some preliminary instructions. And now he's gone. And what did they do? This fellow Moses is gone, they said. What shall we do? And so they did the only thing they knew to do. Isn't that what we do? We get in a spot. We face circumstances that are troubling and confusing to us. And what do we do? We resort to our old thinking, our old ways. We try to take control of the situation. That's what they did. It wasn't that they were trying to just defy God. They were afraid of God. They didn't know God yet. And what they did know was the old customs of Egypt. And so in a pinch, they resorted to that. And Aaron, who should have known better, Aaron, we're told, was a priest of Midian. The Midianites were idol worshipers. Aaron knew how to make an idol. And so he's got the pressure and responsibility of the people. He's got this strange voice and visualization that he saw up on the mountain, but the people are upset and the people are troubled. What's he going to do? Build an idol. That's what he did, and that's what we do sometimes. We build idols in our lives. False methodologies to resolve our problems. And so the situation got bad. Here's the real story. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. These are your gods. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You know, I didn't have this in my notes, but it just occurs to me. You remember when God first met Moses at the burning bush and God said, Moses, I want you to go. And Moses said, oh, I can't do it. I'm slow of speech. 
Um, I, can't, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. And God said, yeah, you can. I'll be with you. And showed Moses a, a sign, a miracle with his staff. And, and, and Moses said, oh, I just, I just really don't think I should. Um, can you give me some help? And so, okay, God. God said, here comes Aaron. Aaron's coming. I'll, I'll let Aaron go with you. It wasn't God's best plan to have Aaron on the scene that day at Sinai. God will let us do things that are actually a compromise from God's best. But this isn't original with me, but it's stuck with me ever since I first heard it. Every time we get in a situation where we compromise to allow an Aaron, symbolic Aaron in our lives, we'll end up with a golden calf. We'll end up with some veering off course, some compromise of the best that God has for us. It's a good lesson to learn. Aaron took him sideways. So the, Mo the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away. I already read that. They bound down to this idol and sacrificed it to it. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that, I, that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. I'll make you into a great nation. On them. I'll make you into a great nation. Now wait a minute. God said I've got plans for these people. I love these people. I want relationship with these people. I brought them out of Egypt while they were still idol worshipers. I brought them to this mountain. But boy, this really makes me mad. And Moses, don't bother me right now. Let's get rid of these people and I'll just work with you. But here, don't miss this. But Moses sought the Lord. Sought the favor of the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Moses turns it back on him. He says, why should your anger burn against your people? <laughs> they're not my people, they're your people. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars, you said to Abraham. In the sky, I will give your descendants all, all this land. I promise them that it will be your inherit their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Do not miss this. After the mess up and the intercession, 
where God was confronted by Moses, pleaded with God, interceded to God on behalf of his people. We go on in the story, and we read over in chapter 34, after Moses had broken the stone tablets, and then God called him back up, and God gave him new stone tablets. We read this in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4. Um, I'm sorry, it says, so Moses, I said God wrote it, but Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone, two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. He proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What is going on here? God, after the intercession, says, Moses, I need to give you another calling card. I need to expand your understanding of me. Yes, I was angry. Yes, it's important that people understand how holy I am, how I do not tolerate sin. But there's another part of me you need to know, if you haven't figured it out yet. I am a gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But I do not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Wow. What is God saying to us today? He's saying, as the trajectory of the big picture, the big story continues throughout the collection of books we call the Bible. God is a God of holiness. And God is a God of judgment. But God is also a God of goodness and grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And in the big story, as we read the Bible, we see over and over and over again that God's people disobey, turn away from God, experience the consequences. It produces consequences when we disobey God, when we sin. God doesn't sweep it under the rug. It has impact on families in ongoing ways, generational ways. But God is there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And the story goes that God again intervenes. He again restores. He again brings us back to himself. We're going to see that as we go on in the story with the 
kings and the prophets. We're going to see how God continues to work with us, continues to intervene for us. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us that God's law can be useful in establishing social order, defining justice, and organizing worship of God. It did define and distinguish a unique and chosen people for a specific task in God's big story. Because after Israel got the law and after they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, these customs worked their way into their traditions and they had the tabernacle and they brought the sacrifices God offered and they began to practice and live life more or less the way God had ordered them to do so. And they were a shining example to the nations around them that were all pagan and idolatrous. Israel was a priest and a representative and a light to those nations. And we are here today talking about this story and how it affected human history because of what God did through his chosen people, his people. He chose them for a specific task. When he established covenant with Abraham, he had a task for them. And that task has continued throughout history. But one thing we must understand, that the law never, never not once, ever prevented humanity from getting off course. And going down a path that misses the mark of God's ideal. We label it sin. The law does not erase sin. Paul just flat out said it. By observing the law, no one will be justified. That's in Galatians and elsewhere in Paul's writings. The law is beautiful. The law is good. The law will teach us so much about God. The law will help us order society in a way that honors God. It'll help us organize our lives in a way with values and integrity. It'll help us, but it won't knock the sin out of us. It can't. It never was intended to. Torah focuses upon the descendants of Abraham and God's big plan of redemption. But we not, must not miss the fact that at the same time he was preparing Israel, God was also at work to bring blessing to all the nations over which he claimed ownership. Remember he said to Abraham, in you I will bless all the nations of the earth. And we already read here in Exodus 19 how God said to Moses, I've got special plans for the children of Israel, but don't, don't get it twisted. I own all the world. I own all the world. So while God had a unique role for Israel as a kingdom of priests, a chosen nation, a holy people, that plan was intended to expand out and touch all the nations around them and as we go into the law, into the, the kings and the prophets, 
We're going to see how that just played out. I mean, you know the story of Daniel, for example, in the Babylonian captivity. Daniel prayed, walked through the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the kings. I don't want to get, get ahead of us here. So we assemble here today because of all God has done throughout history to bring light and life to a very lost and broken world. John put it this way, from the fullness of God's grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. It's a blessing. The law is a blessing. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.